from Forth. This is So What Do You Do? podcast. When someone tells you what they do for work, do you ever secretly think, okay, but what do you actually do? I'm Ellie, and you, my friend, are in the right place. We interview everyday professionals from all positions in all industries. So sit back, relax, and learn where you too can thrive in a nine to five. there's the broker which is the middleman um the transactionary side there's the Mm -hmm. owner who i work for currently Mm -hmm. there's the there's property managers Mm -hmm. and then all the way behind the scenes working with the owner is the lender who doesn't want to say they, they played a part in you know developing the skyline Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We have Merrick on the line. So Merrick, without any further ado, please introduce yourself and let us know what do you do? First off, Ellie, thank you so much for having me on. So what do you do? It's, it's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Um, my name is Merrick, and I work for a investment platform for high net worth individuals. And we essentially invest their money in private equity and real estate. Okay. Awesome. So you, okay. So we're going to dive way deep. I'm sure there's so many levels to your job. I'm confused already. So I can't wait to learn more about what you actually do, but for all my listeners, talk a little bit about maybe what you studied, where you went to school and put, and even your first job out of, out of college. Okay. So I went to the university of Georgia and studied both finance and real estate there. Mm-hmm. Um, my first first job out of college, I worked at a company called Jones Lang LaSalle, who mm-hmm. is a full service um, commercial real estate provider. There, I was working for a group that sold office buildings. So much like a, if you owned a home, you would hire a real estate agent to sell your home. Well, large companies own these office buildings, and they would hire my team to sell them on mm-hmm. their behalf. Okay, awesome. And so that, did you have any experience in that from college? Like, what did you do, I guess, in college that really led you to that first decision? So in college, I was always interested in the real estate landscape. I mean, I would just drive through major cities and look at the skyline. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I always knew I kind of wanted to be a part of that, you know, something Mm -hmm. that was transformative and left left a legacy on the city. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just started meeting with a lot of people around the industry. Um, I was fortunate because I had family relations in the business, mm-hmm. um, but just really started picking people's brains. And I learned a lot about the real estate world and how there were all these different facets of it. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at myself internally and what were my strengths. And I had good, you know, number skills and analytical skills. And I knew that I wanted to be talking to people and interacting. I like conversing. So I kind of realized that this it's called brokerage in the real estate community. You kind of act as a middleman for transactions. Um, and I got an internship with a broker and that's where I initially started in the field. Okay. Awesome. So that was your internship. And then did you continue on with that real estate firm after the internship for full-time? I did. So my first internship was after my sophomore year of college. Um, and then I did another internship with another group and a different, space within the real estate industry um, and then learned that that kind of wasn't for me. And then the following summer when I graduated, I got a full-time offer from Jens Lang LaSalle, 
who's mm-hmm. where my initial internship was with and started full time with them. Got it. Okay, cool. So that, that makes sense. And I think too, something you said, I want to call out, you said, you know, you're, you said you're lucky because you, your family is in that industry. But what I also want to say is what's really cool about that is a lot of people, when I ask them, what do your parents do? A lot of times they have no idea what their parents do. And that's such (laughs) a missed opportunity because you know, you just never know if that's something that you're going to be interested in. And sometimes I think students are so afraid of like following in their parents' footsteps. They're like, oh, I want to do my own thing. Or I don't, you know, I don't want to work for my dad or work for my mom or whatever, which I get all of that. But I definitely think that students need to know and kind of understand what it is that their parents do just to give them an idea of something that's out there. So I love that you say that. And I, and um, I would encourage all of my listeners to go home and figure out what your parents do and see if you can check that off your list as something you want to try or you don't want to try. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more with that, Ellie. I think there's yeah. a stigma out there that you know, you want to create your own path and not live in the shadow of maybe your parents. But I would, I would advise your students to leverage the relationships your parents have built. They would want you to do that. And that doesn't mean you're relying on them. You're just making the smart strategic decision to utilize the resources you have at hand. Right. And, you know, people always say like, it's not, it's not what you did. It's who, you know, and it's like, who do you know, know better than your parents, you know, and who knows you better (laughs) than your parents. So I, I love that. Um, and I I would echo that as well. So we're going to just jump right in. Um, this is what is the meat of the podcast jumping into what do you actually do? So some of the questions that I get from students around confusion in the job search is, you know, I interview and everyone seems so nice and the culture seems great, but I don't know what an average day would look like there for me. I don't know how much time I'm actually going to be, you know, sitting in front of a computer or working with clients, et cetera, et cetera. So could you just walk us through what an average day for you is? And, and again, repeat for my, for my listeners, what your job description is today, because I know it's different than the first, your first opportunity out of college, but walk us through an average day of what that looks like. Sure. So my, my current job description for the investment platform I work at is director of acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And that, that simply means that anytime we are making a new investment or restructuring an existing investment or selling an investment, I manage that process. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as an average day, um, I think one of the most attractive things about what I do is there is no average day. Mm-hmm. Um, I walk in, I walk in, and every morning is different. But it could be anything from you know looking at a new opportunity. How does that fit into our investment portfolio from a risk and return perspective? Or looking at the existing portfolio and determining you know what are what's the best course of action going forward for these investments we do and how can we you know essentially make the best return for our investors okay so and it sounds like at this level of your career you're working pretty closely with your clients that's correct that is correct okay so talk to us a little bit about who is your client like what type of people what type of organizations do you serve so my clients are all um, wealthy individuals who have, most of them have either started and sold a company or inherited significant amounts of wealth. And they're mm-hmm. looking to 
invest it. And we do that on their behalf. So they don't have to spend the time, you know, searching these out. They're not experts in the space. So they leverage our expertise to do that for them. Gotcha. So people that are looking to invest their money, they don't know where to go. They, they want some experts to help them. So on the expertise side is, I would assume part of your job, and I don't, this is where you can kind of educate me, is part of okay. your job figuring out those, in, those best investments? Like, is that you or is that people on your team or, or how does that work? So that is, that is part of my job is finding these opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bit different than if an investor wanted to just go buy a stock on the stock market. Anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. In the real estate and private equity world, and when I say private equity, that just means buying companies that aren't public. Mm -hmm. um, you have to go out and network with the business world in your city or region to find where these opportunities are, who's looking to sell their company or who's mm -hmm. looking to sell their building. And then my job is to find those and then analyze the opportunity to see if it's a good fit for us. Mm -hmm. And then in turn, bring it to the head of our office, who's our chief investment officer and determine whether we move forward with it or not. Gotcha. No, that makes total sense. So who sits on your team then? I mean, obviously I'm sure you're doing, it sounds like a lot of this work you're doing very much hands-on, which is awesome. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners are, get jazzed up about that, but certainly you have a team or counterparts or whatever. So who kind of sits on your team? What does your team dynamic look like? I do. So on, on the um, acquisitions and dispositions front, the buying and selling front, I have two analysts that work alongside me to help me analyze these opportunities. And then we have a chief investment officer who I report to mm -hmm. that is the ultimate decision maker mm -hmm. um, when it comes down to it. Gotcha. Okay. So, so one of these analyst positions, would that be something that someone out of college, whether they're in finance or real estate, et cetera, et cetera, would that be a position that could be available to them? Or would there be someone even below that, that would be more of the entry level? The, so we really have two levels of analysts. We have an entry level analyst, which would be a perfect fit for somebody coming out of college. Mm -hmm. And then we have a senior analyst position, which is someone with, you know, one to three years of experience in an analytical role in the industry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Perfect. And so when you, when you started out of school, you were in, it sounds like more of the commercial real estate space. So you were very much touching kind of this development real estate area. Now you sit at a firm that's more just on the investment piece, like across various real estate opportunities and, and various investment opportunities. First of all, is that, is that a correct statement? That is a correct statement. Uh, I guess going, you know, to kind of lay out the story and how I got here. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned before, in my first role, I was in that entry level analytical role working mm -hmm. for the broker where we were selling these office buildings. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly enough, one of the office buildings that we went to sell happened to be owned by the firm that I currently work at. Gotcha. Um, throughout, throughout that transaction, which took about a year to complete, I, um, built a relationship with the, um, principal of my current firm and we just stayed in touch over the course of two years. And eventually he reached out and said, we're looking to grow. We enjoyed working with you. 
are you interested in being on what and we in this industry call the ownership side or the principal side versus the brokerage side, which I was on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made the move and, you know, I'd always been interested in being on the ownership side because I mean, who doesn't want to say they, they played a part in, you know, developing the skyline. Right. Exactly. I love that. Okay. So, and this is a really great direction to take this conversation because I think when we think of real estate, I think we all think of very basic, either you know, residential, right, where you're buying and selling homes, mm-hmm. or commercial, where I think that makes sense at a high level. It's like okay, not residential, but more office space or you know, skyline. That's great. But you had mentioned, you know, there's owner, which is kind of more of the space that you're in now as you're thinking about making investments. There's a broker. And then is there another piece to the puzzle under real estate or is it mainly those two? There, there's more than just one other piece to the puzzle. Okay. So I would, okay. I guess I would categorize it in a few major categories. There's the broker, which is the middleman, um, the transactionary side. There's the mm-hmm. owner who I work for currently. Mm-hmm. There's the there's property managers who are the people when you walk into say an apartment building and someone greets you at the front desk and shows you around, or you walk Mm -hmm. into a hotel and there's the concierge service, that's the property manager. Mm -hmm. And then all the way behind the scenes working with the owner is a lender. And that can be a bank or a life insurance company or pension fund who's providing debt, much like you would get debt on a house when you purchase it. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay. And, and like you said, there's probably, so many subsequent roles and companies and and seats at the table under each of those buckets but that definitely makes sense at a high level so it sounds like you can be in the real estate world or even just the commercial real estate world and wear a different hat in various in various roles exactly okay great um so Uh, First of all, I love this perspective because you have kind of transitioned from one bucket of real estate to, you know, something a little different. So with that, what would you say is your favorite part about your job today? My favorite part about my job today is finding, just finding new opportunities and the hunt, right? Mm -hmm. Going out searching and searching because in today's environment there's there are a lot of people doing this and trying to find deals so in my world when you find a good deal that you can make work and then actually closing on that deal and watching your business plan that you kind of implemented in your brain be executed that is Mm -hmm. that's very rewarding yeah and also it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the consulting landscape where you get to work on a project and really like go full force. And then you're kind of always getting a new project. Do you feel, do you feel that way in, in your space? Like you kind of get to switch up, you know, what's going on every couple months or a year. I, I do. And that's, that's one of the most exciting parts about it is, and as I mentioned earlier, there's no day that's the same. And part of that is because every you know, every month or so I'm working on new deals and new opportunities and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just chasing that next, that next thing is very exciting. Yeah, no, I, that's really cool. So in that same token, and, and I think a lot of students I talk to, especially the reason I, I, I think this is really interesting is because a lot of people in finance kind of assume that their job from here on out is going to be 
sitting at a desk every day, like, you know, in front of a computer 12 hours a day, which is great. And some people want that and love that. But a lot of students don't, right? They want variety. They want something different. They want a challenge, but they may be a numbers person and they, and they want to use those skills. With that though, what would you say is the most challenging or your least favorite part of, of this role? So I guess the most challenging thing would, is what I would describe as putting out a fire mm-hmm. where everything's going well and the transaction seems seamless. And then all of a sudden something unexpected pops up that could, you know, for all intents and purposes, kill the deal or make the opportunity go away. And figuring out a way, because each problem is unique within itself and specific to the transaction you're working on, mm-hmm. how to deal with that and how to put that out. I would say that's the most challenging, but at the same time, it's not my least favorite because mm-hmm. it's somewhat exhilarating and exciting to you know work through those challenges. Right, exactly. I used to joke when I, in my old job, like when things were really stressful, that was like the worst day of my week. And I could look beside me on either side. And there were people that were just like fist, they lived for it. Like they lived for the stress. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I was like, yeah, they were thriving in the chaos, which some people truly do. And I think that's something really important to know about yourself too, is like, how do you handle those types of, you know, putting out fire situation? So I think you explained that really well. Speaking of putting out fires, a question that I get a lot, which I actually love this question that I wish I would have asked it in college. What kind of emails do you have waiting for you at your desk in the morning? <laughs> I get blasted with a lot of, you know, I guess other owners are trying to sell their properties. So they send these mass emails out. So every morning I wake up with my inbox inundated with opportunities that we probably don't want to pursue. So (laughs) sorting Mm. through those and getting them into the garbage is usually the first half of my morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it really turns up with a variety of things, depending on what I'm working on that, on that day. It could Mm be, you know, it could be um, emails from our potential lender asking questions about the project and how we view our business plan. It could be emails from my clients asking questions. Why are we investing in this deal? Why are we putting this much to it? And how Mm -hmm. do you perceive the risk? So it kind of comes from all directions, I Mm -hmm. would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really just like getting through and combing through those emails. And a lot of my day is also spent on the phone Mm -hmm. um, in meetings, whether that's with, you know, people selling things that we're looking at buying or with my clients chatting through opportunities we're looking at or how do they want to allocate their capital within us? Because in the end, we do have a, we have a fiduciary responsibility to them. So if they if they pick up the phone and call me, I'm dropping everything to mm-hmm. chat with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, one thousand percent. And I think too, you have there's a level. I also want to call this out. I do feel that there is a level of professionalism that's required in this space. Um, you are dealing with people, like you said at the beginning people with wealth, um, whether it's been inherited or, you know, whatever it may be from their, from their past, from their work that they are trusting you with. And, you know, I know you and, and we're the same age and you're not 60 years old, you know? And I think that there, there's something to be said about honing in on that professional skill and just being able to 
be in the room with folks that are 20 plus year, years older than you and acting their age, you know, and, and really putting forth um, a really professional front. So for any of my students that want to be in your space and know that that's something that they want, either want to work on or need to improve on, how did you work toward that? Like, what do you think was the biggest way that you learned how to be professional in these work settings? So I think to start off for your listeners, Ellie, I, <laughs> I can't, I, I got to be direct here and say when I first started, I was terrified to sit in these meetings and mm -hmm. talk with people, you know, of this, I guess you could say status. Mm -hmm. um, you make you feel nervous, you worried you're going to make a mistake or say something wrong and that's going to change the way they view you or they're going to think, oh, you're so young, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of those nerves when I initially started. And then I quickly realized after sitting in a few of these meetings with some of these people, is in the end, everybody's just human and everybody is a person. If you can connect with somebody on a personal level, and there is that fine line of professionalism that you mentioned mm -hmm. that you'd like to maintain, but you mm -hmm. also want to bring the human connection into it. If you can, you know, relate on something outside of work or relate on something outside of business, suddenly it becomes a more personal relationship rather than transactionary in nature. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And I do think, I love that you say that, like, no one's going to graduate college get on the job and be so confident just walking in, like meeting with people, you know, that are of that status for sure. But I, I, I think that's a great point. And I also think the more authentic you are, the more people kind of are open, open to you and open up to you. And they're not necessarily looking at your age at that point. It, it, exactly. There's yeah. just be, just be yourself. That will be well-received, be mm -hmm. honest, um, be ethical, be moral, Mm -hmm. um, those go a long way in the business world. And also as a young person in the industry, don't be afraid to ask questions. Like you mm -hmm. mentioned, you're not expected to know everything and you won't. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to ask questions. And when you do, be sure to soak it up like a sponge because next time it pops up, you're going to know the answer. Yeah, that's so good. I know I always say I'm like, ask the question and prove to them you listened. You know, like I always say, if you go to coffee and this is kind of a tangent, but if you go to coffee with somebody and you're in college and you're asking them, you know, how did you get to this point in life? And what do you, if you could go back and tell your college self one thing to do, what would you do differently? And all that stuff. Like if they give you advice, take it, do something with it and then follow up and say, thanks for this advice. This is what I've done. You know, like that goes so far because most people don't do that. They're like, oh, thanks for the advice. And then they walk out the door and you never hear from them again. Um, and so I think to your point, it's like soaking up that, that advice and even just the answer to the question is going to go farther than most people would go. So that actually transitions us perfectly into our last segment of the podcast, which is how do I get there? So Merrick, if you were a young person listening to this, knowing that they wanted your job um, in the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years, what would you recommend be their best next step today or upon graduation? So I think before graduation, today, wherever you may be at in mm -hmm. your collegiate or high school career, you can start by just you know, hopping online, there's a great website called biznow.com, which is focused on the commercial real estate industry. Mm -hmm. Just read the articles, learn about 
the the world and the companies that are involved, you can start learning the language, which because when you get into these business environments, there is a, a language and lingo thrown around that, you know, might at first go over your head. But if you read these publications and read the stories about what people are doing, you'll start gaining an understanding of how to talk the talk, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just as with any industry, it's um, the real estate and investment profession is largely relationship driven. So as I'm sure you've learned and other you know, career advice, meet with as many people as possible, but don't just meet with people, ask them who you can meet with, who they would recommend you meet with as a follow-up. And then alongside that, shoot, shoot for the stars. Don't be afraid to email the CEO of a company or send them a letter because more often than not, at least in my personal experience, I've realized that those people, they want to help the youth and they want to help people mm-hmm. looking to grow in the industry. It's intimidating, certainly, but put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to, you know, get shut down. That's yeah. the worst that could happen, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The worst thing they can say is no. Well, Merrick, this is have has been awesome. Um, I will definitely be linking that website. I think you said biz now. Um, I will link that in the show notes so that you guys can check it out. And I, that is such tactical advice. And like I said, if you listened to this and got his piece of advice, I would say act on it and tell them that you listened. So Merrick, would you mind if I linked your LinkedIn in the show notes as well? So anyone that is fascinated by your story and wants to say thank you for sharing it on the So What Do You Do podcast can reach out and say thanks. Of course, Ellie, please do. And I'd be happy to chat with anybody or, you know, have a call if they'd like. Uh, Happy to help in any way I can. Perfect. Well, I will do that as well. Thank you for um, offering that up. We appreciate you guys listening. As always, let me know if there's any professionals that you're dying to hear from. And with that, have a great one. Thanks for listening. If you loved this episode and are inspired by this nine to fiver, let us know. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Screenshot this episode and tag us on social at fourth underscore LLC. We would love to hear what professionals and industries you want to hear from next. Want more career guidance, discovery, and inspiration? Be sure to visit our website, GoForthLLC.com, and browse our career downloads, read our blogs, and get inspired to go forth.